Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Southbridge. Today we're going to begin a brand new series called Be the Church because we know that church is not just something we attend, but something that we are. And I'm going to have a lot of words to say about that. Thank you, Chris, for the setup. Appreciate that a ton. Um, if you're a guest with us, like Chris was saying, just please go out to that orange tent before you leave today and uh, let them know that you were here and why it was that you decided to come and check us out today. And I'm going to pray for us. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bible, so you might want to jump there right now. And Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to start off today, talking about what the church is supposed to be. But let me pray for us before we do that. Father, thank you uh, that we get to gather in your name and be your people. And I pray if there are any here that don't know you as Savior today, they wouldn't think by being in this room that somehow that made them a Christian or somehow that earned points with you. But we thank you that your son Jesus did all the performance on the cross when he died for us. Thank you that he rose again and didn't just die. It wasn't just an example, but gave his life so he could give us life. And God, I pray that you would allow each one of us to experience that life and experience it abundantly. I thank you that we get to be, as a church, your bride. We get to be the body. We get to be your temple. God, I pray that you would please speak your truth into us as we do this series over the next several weeks and that you would help us to be the church you desire for us to be, not just to talk about it, not just to know it, but to be it. And God, I pray if there's conviction you need to bring in our hearts, you do that. If there's comfort you need to bring, our encouragement, you would do that. God, will you please speak to us and help us to sense your presence this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, also, like Chris was mentioning, you, you've probably seen some of the hurricane information that's been in the news over the last couple days. It started a couple weeks ago uh, with Hurricane Harvey in Houston, and today, um, we, like Chris said, we're going to be giving uh, money from those t-shirts that we sell away. We're also going to have a team that's going to go and help uh, Hurricane Harvey, so you can go to the BI mission table if you want to be a part of that. Uh, today's offering is going to go towards hurricane relief, and so there's going to be a breakdown and, and segments of that being given away, but 100% of it's not going to be going here to this church. 100% of it's going to be going to uh, hurricane relief with Irma and Harvey and the things that are coming up. And so as you give today, uh, whatever you drop in those offering boxes will be given to them. But you've probably seen all the news and the pictures of destruction uh, with the hurricane in Houston and the Houston area with Harvey. You've probably seen some pictures like uh, some of the ones we have here where they're literally like four and five feet of water, um, just underwater there. And then with Irma coming, you've probably seen all the you know, projected paths of where it might end up, somewhere in Wyoming or somewhere in Raleigh. Like It could be all over the place with the different projection paths. And the big thing with the Hurricane Harvey was all the water that was dumping on everybody. And so there were flood issues that were taking place. With Hurricane Irma, it's uh, the wind. And so you might have seen some pictures of, before it even got to Florida, some of the islands just south of Florida. See some things like this. And cars actually flipped over. Can you imagine wind so strong that's flipping cars over? I read that uh, Hurricane Irma had sustained winds, getting up close to 200 miles an hour, 185 miles an hour was pretty steady, and my wife and I were talking about that, and she said, I can't even fathom how fast it is. I said, how f what's the fastest you've gone in a car? So just think about that, 185 mile an hour winds. And I want you to imagine this morning, what must it be like for the few people that decide to hunker down and to go through the storm? And, and, and to be through, the, whether it's you're in Hurricane Harvey and the waters are rising and you're on the second floor of your house or in a building somewhere and you don't know if the water's going to keep coming and power boxes are popping and you smell septic water and you're, you're there and then the storm starts coming through and you do feel the winds because there are still winds with Harvey as well or you're with Hurricane Irma and you're in a building and the wind's so strong it can flip cars over and you're trying to endure that. 
And I was thinking through this. It reminded me of a hurricane that happened years ago, not Hurricane Katrina, which we know was one of the most expensive hurricanes, over $100 billion worth of damage, 1,200 people died. But there was another one. It wasn't as popular, but called Hurricane Ike in 2008. I don't know if you remember that one or not. It hit part of Texas. And there was a picture that went viral when it happened back in 2008. And we've got that picture today, and it's right here. And that's a real picture. That was not photoshopped in. There are multiple places you can find on different news sources if you go online and look for this picture. Everything's destroyed except for the one house that's sitting there. And I thought of that picture in light of the series that we're doing today. Because I want you to think about this. I want to talk to you about a promise that God makes in light of our series today. When you think about where we're at as a culture, so we can't just talk about being the church without talking about the culture that we're in at this time. And there's culture wars. There's a battle taking place, by the way, an attack on the church, not just Southbridge, not just you know, whatever names of churches in this area, but any gospel-preaching church. And you can talk about it from a political perspective and talk about you know, abortion, racism, immigration, or you can talk about it from a spiritual perspective, and that's what all of it ultimately is in sin. And we live in a culture and a time where sexual immorality is not just tolerated, it's celebrated. We live in a place where there's battles outside the church, inside the church. There are things that are happening. There's battles with sin. You can talk about depression and anxiety. Or you can talk about fear. You can talk about all the things that are happening. We're facing all this stuff. It's like we're in the eye of the storm. But there's one promise for the church. It's not a promise for any other organization in the world. It's not a promise to an individual, but to the church. And Jesus gives it to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, before the church even exists. He's casting a vision for what the church is going to be like. And he says to Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's only a promise to the church. So what is the church? That's what we're going to talk about in this series. Because the church is not just a place that we attend. It's not a place that just distributes religious goods. It's not a place where you come to have your needs met. It's not just a a, a place for consumers uh, to to pick, you know, one church for their music and one church for their teaching and one church they'll go to small group and one church they'll tie to. That's not what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a people. And we're going to talk about those people are to be like as we jump into a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 2 today. Before we do that, I want you to know something about myself. This verse changed my perspective on the church. Matthew chapter 16. That was one of the, when I trusted Jesus as my Savior, I was one of those people that said, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Because the church is kind of a mess. Certainly, God, you could have come up with a better way to reach the world than this. But as I, I've realized, how amazing that God would give a promise like this, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church to such an imperfect place with such imperfect people. And then as you start to think about it, you realize, well, then, then God's the only one that gets the glory when he does stuff. Because you've got this imperfect place, imperfect leaders, imperfect attenders, imperfect members. It's, all, it's not perfect. But then God still does amazing stuff through it, which means it's only God that can get the glory through it. And so today we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at the very first church that ever existed in Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bible. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 37 through 47. And, and we're just going to read a little bit, and then I'll unpack it, and read a little bit, and unpack it. And today's what we call our Vision Sunday as a church. And if you think about what a vision is, a vision, we're not talking about like in the Bible where it's like, hey, there were seven stalks and seven over here, and there's going to be famine in the land. I'm not talking about that kind of vision. I'm talking about a vision like looking at our preferred future. What do we want to be? And so you've heard famous ones throughout history. We're here in North Carolina, the Wright brothers. First in flight, they had a vision for flight. And if you put that in the context of the time that it was happening, what an amazing vision. JFK, a vision for a nation. We're going to go to the moon. Not because it's easy, but because it's hard. If you listen to the, the speech, right? There. Hey, you liked it. All right. A couple of Boston people here. It's good. Martin Luther King Jr., what was he doing when he cast a vision? I have a dream speech. Talk about the racism that's happening in our, our world today. 
I have a dream. And he talks about his four kids. He makes it personal. So I have a dream that my four kids aren't going to be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. He just said, I got a dream. It's a picture of a preferred future. What happens is you look at things and see they're not the way they should be. They're not the way they even could be. We can do better than this. And so then you talk about the future. And so we're going to do that as a church today, but here's the great news about us. Ours isn't just some like fantasy about what we want to happen. Our dream is actually God's plan. So it's not God's vision, it's God's plan, but it's our dream. Because that's not the reality that we're currently living in. Not in this church, not in any church. And so what is it that God wants us to be? What's happening in the book of Acts? Acts comes right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel is the story of Jesus' life, where Jesus lived a sinless life. He's the only one that's ever done it. And he did it because you and I can't do it. It's like the verse that we read earlier, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So he lived a life we couldn't live. Then he died. He died for your sins. He was nailed to the cross. You think about how, how, how silly it is what happens. Jesus walks on water, heals diseases, feeds people. You'd think he'd win an award. But instead they murdered him. And he was dying for your sins and my sins. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. Today's not Easter, but Jesus is risen. That's right. And because he's risen, what ends up happening next is he appears to several hundred people, eyewitness accounts. There's so much evidence for this. I was talking to a woman about this yesterday. Or Jesus' resurrection, and he talks to his disciples. There's 120 of them. Put that in perspective. 5,000 come to be fed. All the people that came and listened to Jesus teach. There's 120. And he says to them, wait. Don't do anything. Just wait until I send my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a mission. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of the world. And then in chapter 2, he sends the Holy Spirit. That's God to come and live with inside of every believer. And it happened the first time in Acts chapter 2. And they start to preach. And they start to preach in all these different languages. So you've got these 120 people. But what we get is the chief guy, Peter, preaching. And here's a guy that a few months earlier was afraid in front of a servant girl in the high priest's courtyard to admit he even knew Jesus. And now he stands up and he tells these people, there's probably somewhere between 50,000 and 200,000 Jews in Jerusalem at this time. He stands up before thousands of people and says, you killed your Messiah. You killed God. And so he's moved from a guy who once was living in fear to now living by faith. And we're going to jump into the climax of his sermon right before the invitation. It says in verse 37, now when they heard this, this crowd of thousands of people that didn't come to hear this preaching, they're coming to do their religious rituals, and Peter gets up and starts preaching to them and tells them from the Old Testament that God said this would happen, and you killed God. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That word cut to the heart in Greek is the word for being stabbed. It's not something they expected. It was unexpected. It was sudden, and they were convicted. And this happens to people. With the Spirit, you didn't come. You were like, yeah, I'm just going to hear a word. I just want to hear a good thing. I'm going to church to hear it, be encouraged today. And then God all of a sudden pierces your heart with some truth. And then they said, they said here, what do we do? They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter told them what to do. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, it's primarily mostly Jewish folks, they're Gentiles too, for people who aren't here today too, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, and so Peter was a long-winded preacher too. <laughs> we don't have the whole sermon here, but he just, every analogy he can come up with, every scripture he can come up with, everyone, he's pleading with these people. He continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this, you're in the eye of the storm, from this crooked generation. 
So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And so there's the first church, about 3,120 people. But here's what you need to know about those people. And this is what made up the church. They, the church is made up of repenting sinners. The church is made up of repenting sinners. There was a difference between the 3,000 sinners that were there that day and the maybe 200,000 people that were there that day. There was a difference in people that were outside the church and people that were inside the church. Next week we're going to talk about church memberships. I'm not going to get into all that today. There's more to be said about this. But the main thing you need to know is that the church is made up of not a bunch of self-righteous people. Not people that are just religious. Not just sinners that say, hey, everybody's cool. It's made up of repenting sinners. And I, I kept that in the present tense, not just people that have repented. At one time I thought about talking, maybe we should talk about the church is made up of change sinners. But that gives the idea that change happens at one moment and then it's done. See, repentance is a regular part of our lives. Because God continues to change our lives. And so the church was made up of the kind of people that we talk about as our vision all the time as a church. We talk about connecting people to Jesus Christ for life change. We talk about seeing hearts transformed. The kind of change that we're talking about here is not, have you ever heard people say this statement before? I'm going to go to church, but first I want to get my life cleaned up. And it might be a couple things, you know, there might be some habits or things that are outward that they see, and they say, well, i got to get this fixed first. I want to get, you know, whatever relationship straightened out. I want to stop this habit, whatever they are, and then I'm going to come to church. Like, you got to get ready to go to church like that. And that misses the whole point of what genuine change is. That's behavior modification. Genuine life change happens at the heart level, at the core, from the inside out. And that's what the original church, the first church was made up of, 3,120 people that had that kind of transformation take place in their lives. It was made up of repenting sinners. It was the ones that repented that actually made up the church, and then God added to their number that day because God's the one who has to do the work. I was thinking about this. I remember when we first came here to plant this church and sharing that idea of that kind of transformation, and it was foreign to people. I didn't know that. Like You can do demographic studies, and you can talk to folks, and I met a lot of people that went to Bible study and a lot of people that went to church, a lot of spiritual leaders, and people would come to church, and they'd say, we've never heard anything like this before. And I literally remember laughing and thinking, it's just the Bible. <laughs> it's like I've made this stuff up. But we get so used to going through religious rituals, or we get so used to going to church and having you know, an hour of religious entertainment, and then we check out, and maybe if we're like really committed, we'll like hold some babies, or if we're really, really committed on a, a weeknight, we'll also spend another hour with a few folks, and we're in, the, we're in the small group, so we're doing this thing. But we miss genuine transformation. And so I went back this, this past uh, couple weeks, and I've been reading old sermons of every Vision Sunday that we've had, every you know, significant you know, vision-type moment that we've done. I looked at the very first talk I gave to our church. We had tens of people. I don't know, it was 50, 60, 70 people, something like that. And it was from this passage of scripture. And the question was, why church? Like, not why Southbridge or why Summit or why Providence, but why church at all? Like, why, do, why even do this? Like, what is the point? So many times we go through the motions of being at church. It's just like, that's what Christians do. We never even ask ourselves the question, why church? And I was thinking about where we were at at that point of a church and thinking about where we're at today. We're at a critical juncture, I think, in the life of our church at this moment. And think about what the critical juncture we were at at that moment. We had these 60, 70 people. And I thought it was so important for them to understand why church. And think about things that have happened in our church over this past year. We've had a lot of transitions, a lot of new stuff that has happened. Our, our communications director, Carrie, uh, has gone to be, be a stay-at-home mom, which we're excited about, but she has made such a difference in our church, excited about having her, and so we're bummed out about that. But then God's brought a bunch of new faces to our church, too. There's a guy in the back, many of you haven't met yet, his name's Drake Hyman. You're going to receive a, a booklet when you leave. You'll, you'll meet some of the, the folks that are newer to our church that you haven't met yet before. It's our annual report. 
Drake and his wife uh, have come here, taken over some of those responsibilities that Carrie had, and also working in the production booth. Uh, is a great guy. Pastor Seth uh, here, you saw him this morning, so even if you didn't realize he was new, some of you are newer to our church. Been a huge blessing to our church. Um, leading us, we're, we're being led in worship. We're not just you know, singing songs, he's leading us in worship and pastoring us. And I wanna tell you something about Seth. He's great on the stage and stuff, but he's awesome at the office. He's such a, a, a positive influence, looking to Jesus, loves Jesus, he's genuine. So the stuff you see on the stage I want you to know is real, uh, coming from him. And uh, he's an amazing addition to our team. We're excited about him. And there's been a lot of new faces that have come to our church. You know, switching locations, so it's, it has, it's been just about a year right now that we've switched from meeting in a movie theater to meeting here. And there's been a bunch of new faces, new people that have come here. But I think about this critical juncture that we're at. Can you imagine... If, I don't know how many people will be here today, seven to 800 people will come on average here, so say seven or 800 people here today. Can you imagine if instead of 60 or 70 people grasping the idea of what it is to be the church, if 700, six, say 600, say 100 of them are like, I don't know about this. Uh, say six or 700 people grasp this idea, what a difference that could make in this community of what it is to be the church. So what if each one of us decided we didn't want to just attend a church, but we actually wanted to be the church? So what does that look like? Well, it starts off with looking at, like, at this passage. It's made up of people who have a story that I once was this and now I'm this. That's the essence of repentance. People that have repented. You were headed in one direction. You stop. That's repentance. And you turned. You were headed away from God. You were doing your own thing. And you stop and you acknowledge that it was wrong. You turn back to God. So I once was this, but now I am this. It's to look at the preacher, Peter. Peter, I once was living in fear. I was controlled by fear. I'll tell Jesus how awesome I was and how involved I was and what I would do, but I was afraid. But now, but now I live by faith. There was a brokenness that happened in Peter's life. Who were those 120? I mean, you go back and you see there were only 120 when you read uh, the first two chapters of Acts. Who are those 120? Well, we know the 11 disciples that are left are there. So Matthew's there. You know Matthew, the guy who writes the Gospel of Matthew? He was a tax collector. So it says, I once was, but now I am story. I once was a chaser of money, but now I'm pursuing Jesus. What about the woman in John chapter 4? I wonder if she was part of the 120. You know the woman in John chapter 4? She comes to Jesus. She's at the woman at the well. And they start arguing about locations of worship. And then Jesus confronts her sin. That's something churches oftentimes don't do. He says, hey, uh, the five guys that you've been married to, yeah, they're not your husband. The guy that you're living with now, you're shacking up with some guy, he's not your husband. I know about your sin, I know about your problem. Your issue is not what mountain to worship on. But see, I give living water. I am the Messiah. And he transforms that woman's life. She goes from, I once was a chaser of men. I'm now secure in Christ. Now satisfied in Christ. Like, how does she want to fill in the back end of that? And you go through, and there's story after story. You think about all the people that Jesus encountered, lepers, blind people. Who were there in the 120? They all had the story of I once was, but now am. And then it goes to 3,000. These people were in a lot of trouble. They killed God. You killed God, he says to them. Now, get this. These people didn't hold nails in their hands. They didn't hold his arms down on the cross. It was their sin that killed God, just like yours, just like mine. So have you ever been sinned so bad or done something so bad you think there's no turning back? Maybe, maybe it's with God, maybe it's with the church, maybe it's in a relationship or an opportunity or something that happens at work where you're like, I just, I'm just going to put that behind me, I'm going to move on to the next thing. Let me tell you something with God, you can never do that. You can never sin too far. You can never be too bad. There's always an opportunity to come back. 
There were 3,000 people that were in this situation. There were sound, what do we do? We're cut to the heart. We've been stabbed in our hearts here. It's too bad. You're going to receive this booklet, like I said, when you leave today. And there's going to be numbers in each, each section of this booklet. Um, some of them are highlights. You can talk about how many people trusted Christ as their Savior, how many people are baptized, how many members we have, different attendance things. And it's easy to just flip through the numbers real quick. I want you to pause at the numbers when you read the booklet and realize every one of those numbers represents a story. There's 3,000 here. They all had a story. Here we got, we had 34 people that were baptized this past year. They all had a story. There's one woman, uh, she didn't even want to come to church. She actually started coming to Celebrate Recovery, which is a ministry we have that meets on Thursday nights first. Uh, This Thursday night, Jim Hendren, one of our members, is going to be sharing his story, not just of when he came to Christ, but what, what has God done now? Because you don't just repent once, it's you're repenting sinners. And uh, this particular woman, she came to Celebrate Recovery because she had been three months sober from alcohol and drugs and needed another support group. Not really interested in church or all these church people. Should have sat in the back row, didn't really engage or do anything, was just kind of there. But then I met these church people that talked about real stuff. And her exact statement to me was, not just the stuff that everybody admits to, like I get angry sometimes, or I do, but like real sin issues. And they were going to church, but they had this real relationship with God that she didn't have. And she was not only sober for three months, but she current in that moment was in a sexual addiction. She's been out of that for four months now. So we baptized her. She's one of the 34 people. But originally she didn't even want to come to church, wasn't even interested in any of that stuff. But what she saw was people being the church that were repenting sinners, that were willing to be honest about their junk. We'd be real. They had a I once was but now I am story. What is yours? Because you think about 3,000 people and all the stories that could have been there. I once was, but now am. I once was this, but now am this. I once was, see, I trusted Christ as my Savior over 20 years ago. If I was still just saying, I once was lost, but now I'm found, I'd and passively be saying, God hasn't done anything in the last 20 years. But what could I say? I once was, what's God done recently? What's your story? I once was, could it be like Peter, living in fear, but now walk by faith, repented of that, repented of the fear of man, the fear of outcome, the fear of whatever it was, and so I'm going to walk whatever you say, by faith, God. I once was, what, what is it for you, a workaholic, but now I am finding my identity in Christ. I once was a liar, but now I want to walk in the light. I once was trapped by past sin, but now I've decided to be authentic. I once was thought I was controlled by destiny, realized God's sovereignly in control. What is it for you? Because we all have this, the church is made up of people that are I once was, but now am people. It's made up of sinners, but it's not just all sinners, it's repenting sinners, and repentance is a regular part of the Christian life. And so they, they repent of their sin. He tells them that message, that's what do I do? Well, verse 38, repent and be baptized. And they were baptized, baptized with a declaration of that faith. The baptism was saying, there's a sign. This, what, what is repentance? I stop and I turn. Turn to what? Turn to God. Baptism is an outward confession of that. Now, many of us can't be bold in our faith because our faith hasn't really changed us. There are a lot of people that go to churches and they'll declare their salvation, but you see very little transformation. Some of you, your next step of faith needs to be baptized. Some of you, you've been baptized, but that was this thing that happened some long time ago. Why did you stop being bold with your faith? That doesn't even make sense. Did you stop repenting? Repentance, a regular part of our lives. But that's not all. Look at the next part of the passage, verses 42 through 46. Verse 42 is really a summary statement of what verses 43 through 46 unpack. And what we see in verses 42 through 46 is that the church is not just made up of repenting sinners, but the church is made up of a people devoted to God and each other. 
See, the church, not just a place, the church is a people. The church is a people devoted to God and each other. And so what you see the early church did, and this is a summary statement of the early church, is really they fulfilled the great commandment. Love God. How do you know if you love God? You love your neighbor. Look what happens. Look what it says, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so here you see these folks. Verse 42, like I said, is the summary statement of the whole deal. And you see their devotion to God. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, encountering God through the scriptures. And the fellowship, that's each other, to the breaking of bread, they're having meals together, sharing life together, and prayers, encountering God through that. So there's God, and there's other people, and then you read verses 43 through 46, it says, hey, they were giving generously, they were loving each other this way, and why is it? It goes back to verse 42. They were, there was their devotion. They were devoted to something. And I think that word's kind of lost its impact in our, our society. The idea of actually being committed, devoted to something. If you think about it, we consider ourselves loyal oftentimes. We're loyal, loyal. We got loyalty cards to you know, Macy's or loyalty cards to Harris Teeter. But I mean, you got your, maybe you have your Harris Teeter Vic card, right? But if you're, if you're by Food Lion, you're going to Food Lion, right? <laughs> when I am. And maybe also it's like, well, Harris Teeter, they've got the best produce, but I can get some good meat over at BJ's, so I'm gonna get a BJ's membership. Maybe Sam's Club or Costco, same idea. And you go to Walmart, just come as you are at Walmart. We've all experienced that, right? Like you don't need a card over there. You go to Kroger, and I think Publix is coming in soon. Like, Piggly Wiggly's probably out there somewhere still. Aldi. Aldi. Oh, amen. Horse meat. Love it. <laughs> Got all of it out there. Got your quarter ready for the shopping cart. Any other shout-outs? Want to get a commercial? Representatives here? Got all these grocery stores, and we, but we have these little cards that say that we're, like, members, that we're loyal to this place, right? A lot of people treat Christianity. It's fine. If you want to buy your lettuce at one place and buy your turkey at another place, it's totally fine. You can buy a shirt at Macy's and buy you know, bedspread at Kmart, whatever. It doesn't matter. You, it's not wrong to be a consumer, but consumerism actually fights against community. And we have a consumer mindset. There are some people that actually do this. Some of you are going to think this is crazy, and some of you are going to be like, yeah, what's the problem? There are some people that go to church, one church for teaching, another church for music, and they'll be in a small group of a different church, and they'll use some other church for their youth group ministry or their women's ministry or their some other thing. And I think that's like, Okay. That's so contrary to what we're reading here in this passage of Scripture. They, they weren't consumers. They were contributors. They weren't there to get something from each other. They were actually there to, it was a joy to sacrifice for one another. The way you knew if they were devoted to God was because they were devoted to one another, to other people. Not just there were people there to meet their needs. They were giving for the sake of the people that God put in their church. They were devoted to each other. And the Bible says this in other spots. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. That's how we know. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so you see here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was the teaching about the stuff that happened in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, things we read about, and the epistles. And then notice the next part, and... The fellowship. The fellowship. They weren't just devoted to fellowship, not just like general, casual, hanging out with each other. It was, there was something distinct about this fellowship. 
that stood out and other people saw it. And what's distinct about it is you see the way they lived in verses 43 through 46. The way they cared for one another was different than what other people had seen before. And it drew people to God. In fact, they're fulfilling what Jesus actually taught in the Gospels. In John chapter 13 and verse 35, we have this verse we'll put up on the screen. It says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love them. That's not what the passage says. It says, if you have love for one another. You don't show the world the gospel by going out and just telling the world about the gospel. They see how we act with each other. Have you ever heard people say uh, before, you Christians, you shoot your own. I mean, so many times we're willing to say to like our neighbors, our friends, come, come, God will forgive you, God's gracious. And it's like, we're, but we're slaughtering some other Christian on social media. If I'm a non-believer, am I looking at that and going, well, you don't even forgive each other. What are you talking about? Forgive me. If you don't even love each other, how are you going to love the world? And then Jesus says, <laughs> they're going to know you're my disciples by the way you love each other, the world will know. By the way you care for each other, not by the way you gossip about each other and slander each other and don't forgive each other, by the way you love each other. And so this is an awkward moment, and this won't be seeker sensitive, but look around at the people around you today. You look behind you. Because a couple people are like, oh, peripheral. I mean, I don't want to look around. <laughs> look around. Go ahead and look around. I mean, I know this isn't going to be the church for everybody that's here in this moment, but this is your church. Those are your people. See, some of us love the idea of community. It's kind of a romanticized, idealistic, you know, there, there's, I, there, if I just found the right people, then I'd be able to... No, I mean, these are your people. And it's messy. And you might not like all of them. But will you love them? Because that's how people knew the church. And that's how you knew if someone was actually devoted to God, by the way they loved other people. And so we talk about as a church, one of the primary ways we try to do this is through our, our groups ministry. We've got a small groups expo, which is when we launch a bunch of groups uh, on October 8th coming up. Some of you aren't in group. That would be a great opportunity for you to get in group. Uh, some of you might need to lead a group at that time. If, that, if you're interested in that, please let us know. Got to be a member of the church and different things. But small groups for us are not Bible study. Small groups for us are not church part two. Small groups are an opportunity, an environment that we offer for people to hopefully develop relationships, but that it ultimately falls on folks of whether or not they're going to get in each other's lives and get involved in the relationships with each other. And we know we don't do it great. Some groups do it great. Some groups don't. You can talk amongst your own group about where you fit in that spectrum. <laughs> we can all do it better. And uh, we want to do it better as a church. Our plan uh, is to hire a guy to be our equipping pastor that's going to be overseeing our groups. And our Lord willing, we'll have that guy in place in the next 90 days. But our, our goal is, and we've interviewed a ton of people for this process, is to have a guy that's got more experience than we currently have with groups. They can help us take groups to the next level. That's going to oversee some of our discipleship ministries as well. We're going to call him an equipping pastor. And uh, Lord willing, uh, he'll be here. He'll be another new face that we'll add to the team that can help strengthen this body. So please be praying about that. But we've always said as a church that the groups are the primary way that we care for each other. Theoretically, this is great. And it makes sense. And, and I've said plenty of times before, you know, that if you, I hate it when somebody goes through a tragedy, they lose a loved one, some difficulty happens in their life, they're struggling, their business is struggling, something happens with a relationship with their kids, and they come to us and they don't have a group because we know they're not going to get the care they could get. And that's true. And that's still true. But we know there's still people that fall through the cracks. There's areas of care where even the group doesn't do it. Doesn't do it well, doesn't do it the best they could. And so we're, our plan is this fall, we're going to start a new team at our church. It's called Deacons. We're stealing it right from the Bible. It's a crazy idea. 
And that's what, actually, you can read, like, read this passage in Acts chapter 2, and you can be like, this is perfect, and it was awesome the way that it was working. But if you keep reading the gospel of, or the book of Acts, what you end up finding is the, the first several chapters of the first five years of the church. And when you get to Acts chapter 6, they weren't doing this well. They weren't doing care well. People were upset. Widows were upset, and there were some people with food distribution that were upset. And the, the apostles end up saying, and we'll talk about this passage more when we get to our, our member night that, that Chris mentioned earlier on September 24th. We'll do some teaching on what deacons are. But... What ended up happening was the apostles said, hey, we're supposed to be committed to the word and to prayer, and here we are, we're getting asked to do all these care issues. We're, we're not doing this well, and we can't keep doing this, and so we're going to have deacons. And deacons are literally, the word means servants, servants in the church. And so to up our, our care ministry, our desire to care for you, is that we're going to be having uh, deacons at our church. And so you come to the member night on September 24th, we're going to have you nominate some folks to be deacons, deacons and deaconesses, so male and female, uh, that'll be part of that. You see that in the Bible too later when you get the book of Romans, you see uh, women that were serving in that capacity. And so we're going to be looking at deacons and deaconesses as we're coming, moving forward. That's one of the things that's going to be happening in the days of our church because we want to be like the early church. They saw something they weren't doing well. Let's get better. Perfect? No. The, this church wasn't perfect either, by the way. Because we can romanticize this. This is a summary of the church. If you want to know all the things that happened in the church, start reading the other epistles. There's a lot of mess. Because they're imperfect people. But they were imperfect people that were devoted to God and devoted to each other. And God was using them. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. God was doing a work. God was doing stuff that only he can do. And so you're going to get this book, and you're going to see there's going to be stories in here, salvations, baptisms, and there's some stories that can't be captured, but you just have to be in relationship with people to get the stories. Like there's one guy in our men's ministry. He was telling me about how when he came to our church, moved here after a divorce, rough situation, and he said the way that I read the Bible was sanctimonious, was his exact words. He was self-righteous. He was using the Bible to actually protect himself from actually being wrong in any of the stuff that happened in his life. He said, but God's done a work on my life ultimately through the, the men's ministry. He said, now I know what it is to receive grace. And people who can receive grace can give grace. God's changing life. Every salvation story is a miracle, but that's also a miracle. That's also life change. That's people that are, I once was, I once was sanctimonious, now I know how to receive grace. You know, there's another guy in the men's ministry, not just to talk just about the men's ministry, but uh, he basically, he was a jerk when his kids were little, and God softened him, and now he's got a good relationship with his kids because God's been gracious He's changing. He's doing miraculous things. He's changing lives. And that's always been what we've wanted God to do is transform lives and do things that only he could do. And so when we launched this church, we did a message called My God is So Big. There's nothing my God cannot do. And what is it? And we, you heard a testimony. If you were in here early for the service, you heard a testimony. The woman, had, her marriage was transformed. That's one of the things. Talk about people trusting Christ, people getting baptized, God changing people's lives. I remember when we did our Christmas Eve service this past year. And, you know, we have people raise their hand if they trusted Christ. And we don't know all the people that are here. We don't know if God genuinely changes their hearts or not. God knows that. And we just trust them to work those things out. But I remember after the service, there was one lady from our worship team that came up to me and she said, I saw, I peeked. You said everybody with their head bowed and their eyes closed, but I peeked. I was like, oh, you're on the worship team. You're okay. It'll work out. <laughs> so, and God didn't strike her down, so it was all right. And she said, I saw this father that was sitting there with a the little boy in his lap. And I think, I wonder what his I once was, now I am story is going to be. I wonder how he's going to change that, that kid's life. I wonder what's going to happen. So those are the miracles that we're asking God to do. 
But I want, I want to tell you about one uh, that recently happened. We just found out about this week. In fact, I had one. I'll just tell you this. I think I got time to tell you this. Out in the lobby today, as I was in here, we know we challenge every member of our church to have one person they're praying for. And we talk about these hurricanes. I had one guy that, that shared with me that he led his daughter to Christ last night. That was one of his ones, by the way. An adult daughter. Doesn't live around here. But yeah, praise the Lord for that, for sure. And, uh, and God was using the, the tragedy of the hurricanes to bring her to Christ. And so God even takes the... the crappy stuff in life and some of you might be wondering god how are you allowing this to happen what do you god can take that and redeem it for good but the update i wanted to give you is uh it came this past thursday uh, many of you know about our land uh, that we own a piece of land on glenwood avenue i'll give you a little context for the announcement um Back when we, before we started this church, my wife and I had to raise money to, to pay our salary and raise money to build a website and to get the whole church started and all those kinds of things. And we didn't ask any person for this, but we started praying, God, would you just give us a million-dollar gift? Now, we didn't have like a person like, there's the guy. He's given the million-dollar gift. But we were just praying, God, will you do something that's beyond what we could ask or imagine? Will you do that? And here's the reality. He didn't do it. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you pray for stuff, and it's like, if you got that, it would be so bad for you. <laughs> and so we trust the Lord's goodness in that. But we moved here. And we're asking God to do beyond what we could ask or imagine. Ask him to be, you know, show yourself to be this God that we're preaching about, that we're talking about. And he starts changing people's lives. The church starts growing. First three years of the church. And we get to a spot where we had filled up the movie theater. And we said, all right, we need to raise some money. And I don't know if those of you who were here at that time gave sacrificially. We said, land, lease, or building. Whichever one God leads us to, that's where we're going to go. But will you give some money? And people gave sacrificially. Uh, people emptied their bank accounts. We had one person that gave. A, they had, God had done an amazing work in their marriage, and they wanted a fresh start. They gave their wedding ring. And we were like, how do we liquidate a wedding ring? We're a new church. We know how to do that. But God was doing a stuff in people's hearts to, to move in that, that way. And then God led us to a piece of property uh, that we were confident that the Lord was leading us to at that time. It was owned by a dentist, actually, in the area. I haven't been able to tell all the details of the story before, but he lived over in Cary, and he bought it, actually, for his church, and then his church decided to go in a different direction, so he sold it to us for less than what a lot of the other property around it was going for, and we bought that, prop that piece of property for $1.46 million about five years ago, and we're excited about it, but we didn't have enough money to build on it, so we did another campaign. Tried to raise money to build the building. Didn't raise quite enough money to build the building, and some costs had gone up on doing some land stuff with it. And, then, and to say that it was a roller coaster ride is like an understatement. I won't tell you all the details, but like septic issues, things with permitting, all kinds of stuff would come up that would delay us in this process. But then last year, we were at this spot. We were about to break ground. So we got like to the starting line. And then the way that I like to say it, I'm going to say it, and Vern, you can get after me afterwards, but the city came to us and said, they're taking our property. <laughs> That is not accurate, but that's exactly how I felt. It was the NCDOT, Department of Transportation, so it wasn't technically the city, and they, said, they didn't say they were taking our property. The correct legal terminology, so we won't get sued, Fern, is it was a protective purchase. In other words, we're buying your property, but there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and so it felt like they were taking our property, and I was not happy about that. And we began what was a process with the government, and the government works on a different time system than the rest of us, just so you know. Think of the DMV magnified. That's where we were at. If you work for the government, God still loves you. We're glad you're here. He, he, Matthew was a tax collector. God even saved him. So you can be saved too. Repent and stop working for the government. Anyway. But we, uh, we started this process with them. It was like a year ago. And they were doing all this stuff with our property, doing some appraisals on our property that took longer than we had expected. And all that. they did two appraisals on our property, and then we got an appraisal done on our property. And then we ended up hiring an attorney, and the attorney did some negotiating with them. And then we came to a sales price that I was excited to come and announce to you. And then before I announced it to you, then they said, but wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. We just want to check and make sure we really need your property. <laughs> Are you kidding? 
I've got a few hundred people that have given money to this and I've been involved in it, and then now you're telling me you don't know if you want it. <laughs> I've already told them you said you want it. Anyway, so they told us, give us 30 days to evaluate it. So 60 days later, <laughs> government time, I'm not kidding. We were like, hey, it's been over 30 days. Can you get an answer? And it just it wasn't happening. But on Thursday this past week, uh, we got notification, final notification from them, that the property that we bought for $1.46 million about five years ago, they're going to give us $3.55 million for it. Yeah, for sure. I saw somebody go like this. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And, and I look back on that, and I think to myself, about that million dollars, that's more than a million dollars. But you know what? That's God giving it. Where only God can get the glory in that situation. And God puts us in a situation where it's like, hey, you trust, it's not, that is not what I meant when I prayed that prayer. <laughs> that is not the path that I meant to go on. But isn't that oftentimes how life works? It's not, you know, exactly what you thought, but God's working and God's hearing the prayers, God's moving, and God's doing beyond what we could ask or imagine. And so I just want to say that, that he is a big God. There's nothing he cannot do. And he's put us in a spot right now. I'm sure there's questions in this booklet. You're going to get some information about, you know, names of folks you can be praying for. And if you've got information about that's on our new future facility team. Um, but let's not do all the questions today. Let's just rejoice. And God's doing an amazing thing. And I am in awe <laughs> thinking about what happened in the, this whole process. Like I said, not the way that I would say that I wanted it to happen, but how amazing to be where we're at. And I talk about being at a critical juncture. What if, what if now we would realize we, we do have a big God? He is changing lives of this church. He is doing a work behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. These are exciting days. And God wants to use a group of people that are I once was, but now I am people, that are devoted to God, devoted to each other. But there's one last part. I want to read you one last verse here in this passage of Scripture. It says in verse 47, they're praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And it's God's the one that's doing the work. God's the one that's changing lives. You go up to verse 41, he, he added 3,000 people. You go to verse 47, and God's the one that's adding people. But what is he using? It's verses 42 through 46. It's people. He's using changed people to change people. He's using disciples to make other disciples. And, and that's the third part of what is the church? What is the church supposed to be? It's supposed to be a group of people, not just devoted to God and devoted to each other, but it's a group of people that are disciples that are making other disciples. And so I, I challenge you as we think about where we're at in this situation moving forward, how does God want to use you moving forward? Because the church is you. The church isn't the organization. The church isn't the pastor. The church isn't the elders. The church isn't the deacons. The church isn't the small group leaders. The church is the people. So how does he want to use you to make other disciples as we move forward? What does God want to do? How are you going to step in to spots that are opening up, new leadership spots, new serving opportunities? How are you going to maybe create your own spots? You think about as we go out and these tables were mentioned for you, you know, be involved and be invested, be on mission. One of the things that happened at the be on mission table, you can sign up for Southbridge Serves that's coming up October 14th. We're going to have some opportunities to try and dominate our community. Can you imagine if we had six or 700 people sign up instead of one or 200 people sign up? And we're going to be doing ministries that we've never done before, stuff with some homeless people, stuff with some prostitutes and some of our strategic partners. And there's information about that at the table, be on mission table. You can sign up for Hurricane Harvey Relief. You can sign up to serve in various different ways. But what about, what about one that, that many of us don't even think about very often? What about our engage groups? See, our engage groups are really, we could call them release groups. They're really for when God puts a burden on some of your hearts 
and say, this is how I want to, this is how I want to be used in our community. And we as the church is really release you into the community, fan the flame, help in some way, you, you kind of do a ministry forum, we talk about whether it's really connecting people to Jesus for life change, we really want you to focus on, are you really a disciple making a disciple, or are you just doing a nice thing? That's really our, our focus as a church, we don't want to just do good deeds, we want to be disciples to make disciples. We had a guy this week, they, they emailed me this week, and he's passionate about starting a mentoring program at a school right here in town, you think about the schools here in town, some of these schools are awesome, I don't know what this one ranks, but I know like the one down the street, Sycamore Creek, is a 10 out of 10. There's this other school that's a four out of 10. They, don't, they have kids in there. They don't have dads. They need some men to come in and be mentors. And some, they don't know how to read, but they just keep passing through grades because that's how it works. They need people to come in just to read to them. And so this guy's going to go do that. And some of you might want to be a part of that. Go to the Beyond Mission table. Some of you might have a different burden. God puts that on your heart. Go to the Beyond Mission table. You want to be involved? There's opportunities to serve within this body because we're supposed to serve our body. We're going to talk about that, not just serve the community. You want to be invested, be a member? You can go out and do that. But how's God going to use you moving forward? We're going to do this October 8th, Groups Expo. Some of you might need to lead a group. Some of you might need to get involved in a group. What is your opportunity to step in or step up in this church? Because we're at a critical juncture. And I feel like we're almost like when we launched the church. We're about to head into this new phase. And what an amazing day to be here and be a part of this. It's exciting. I think the best is yet to come. And God's going to do some great stuff. But he's going to do it through you. God's the one who does the work, but he does it through you. Through me, through us. Those were these, I once was, but now I am. What's your story? Some of you might need to repent today, and that's okay. We're all repenting sinners. Some of you might need to be baptized. We'll be baptized in October. If you want to be baptized, mark it on your card. We'd love to baptize you. Some of you need to take another step of faith, and God spoke in your heart of what that is. If it's to be a member, you can go out in the lobby and sign up to be for membership out in the lobby. You want to be serve in some capacity, you can go out. There's tables in the lobby for you to do those things. But I'm going to pray for us, and if anybody needs to trust Jesus as their Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. You know, Peter's preaching this message to these folks, and it all starts right there. Everything starts there. It's not starting by getting involved in a church. It's not starting by being religious. It starts by repenting of your sin, acknowledging your sin before God, which is not a huge acknowledgement. Like the scriptures say, for all of sin, it falls short of the glory of God. Acknowledging that sin, though, and saying, I want to turn from that sin. I want to turn to you, God. And maybe God's convicted your heart that that's what you need to do in this moment. And so in this moment right now, even with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want you to pray. Call out to him. Scripture says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, that he is Lord means that he's now going to be in charge of your life. You're no longer in charge of your life. If you believe that's true, and you're willing to confess that, do that in this moment, right now. Ask Jesus to be your Savior like that young woman did last night when her dad was talking to her. And if you already know Jesus is your Savior, pray for the people that are around you. Maybe some of them need to trust Jesus as their Savior. If you're a believer in Jesus, there's still things to repent of. Maybe, maybe you've gotten caught up in thinking that your whole story was just what happened at salvation and happened at your conversion moment, but God's still writing your story. He's faithful to do a work in us. He's going to complete that work and making you more and more like Christ. And so if there's an area of your life where you need to repent, repent of sin, repent of slander, repent of gossip, repent of adultery, repent of theft, repent of lying, repent of whatever it is, your own self-righteousness, and, and turn to God and be more like Christ and, and do that in this moment. And for some of us, just our hearts are rejoicing over what God's doing in our church. And, but we know that we're not everything that we could be. We're not everything that we should be. And God, will you put it on each one of our hearts how you want us to help make this local body better, that we be committed, devoted to each other, that we care for one another, that we would be, not just attend, but be the church together. God, will you speak that into our hearts in these moments in ways that only you can. Will you speak to our hearts? And we just want to pause and give you some space to do that.
ask you to encourage us to awaken our faith, some of us, and to show us what our next step of faith are. And if there are the tables in the lobby, direct us to those tables. If there's something else you want us to do, I pray that you'd make that abundantly clear to us as well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.